This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, and on today's show, we're bringing in our dear friend, Rob Mosley of Godex.com, also the host of the Mighty Oregon podcast. Rob, thank you for coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Licking wounds from a loss uh, for the women's basketball team at Arizona State last night, but uh, new week. Excited to have some home basketball this week, and uh, yeah, let's talk about some football too. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to talk football uh, on this focus of the podcast. We'll we'll dive into basketball later on. Maybe we get you on back with that. But I was quite um, welcome to chop it up about women's basketball for a half an hour with Eric and leave your head. <laughs> but you know, I love that, Rob. You know, that's where my heart is right now too. <laughs> tough, tough, tough evening in Tucson. But yeah, here we hey, go. they got the split though. That's all that yeah. matters. They did. Oh, yeah, did I say Arizona trips? State? Yeah, Arizona. Yeah. We, we beat Arizona State. Yeah, that's how late of a yeah. night it was. Beat, beat Arizona State. Lost Arizona. Yeah, you get the road split, you, you walk out of there happy. Uh, yeah, I football. think the men's team would agree with that right now, too. Uh, yeah, uh, very much so. <laughs> Considering how Thursday went at Colorado. Um, football, this is like, this is Dan, Dan Lanning's first year. Um, obviously, a 10-win season is always a good thing. And I think it's probably one of the better years for a first-year head coach at Oregon. Um, just how do you feel like this stacks up for Dan? Because he he entered his first year at Oregon with different expectations than probably any other coach ever uh, at Oregon. Like even Mario, when he when he got the job, um, it felt like the expectations weren't nearly as high as they were placed upon Dan. How do you feel like he managed his first year with the raised expectations of this program? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's so many facets to that. Um, you know, I mean, I think if, if you take a step back and you think about the transition, that, you know, the whole world, all of college football has been through the last few years because of the pandemic. But then yeah. this program in particular with all the coaching changes, you know, to still be in a position where um, you, you, you're breaking in yet another head coach and yet because the infrastructure that exists, you still expect to achieve at a high level. Um as a baseline, that's a pretty good thing. You know, that, that says that thing, you know, things are going pretty good here. You're not riding the roller coaster like some other programs are when they, when they have a change at uh, this frequency. And then I think when you're talking about expectations, you know, the, the, the context for that just fluctuates so much over the course of a year. And then they get reframed as we get new results and new context. And right. I think you look at some decisions that were made in terms of coaches, in terms of transfers that were brought in. Um, there were some decisions that were were made that I don't think were considered slam dunks, you know, by sort of the national punditry. Uh, and so much worked out. You know, I mean, I, I just look at, 
you know, you look at the Holiday Bowl win over North Carolina, and you think about who made the biggest plays in that game, and it was Bo Nix, and it was Chase Coda, and it was Bucky Irving, and it was Casey Rogers. Um, you know, you look at the relationship. Obviously, Kenny Dillingham was gone at that point, but the relationship he had with Bo Nix, you know, none of those guys, the coaches or players, were viewed. I think when they got here, as like, yeah, you know, these are these are slam dunk, like all conference caliber, right. team leading. Um, you know, they were all guys who'd had nice careers, but also, you know, probably had another level they could. They they were considered another kind of pantheon they could enter in terms of uh, the impact they could have, and 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 they did that. Um, and, and in that game, they did it on the you know on on the the biggest stage of the season at the most clutch time. So, I think now we look back and say, given the parts that were assembled, yeah, there was every reason to think this team could achieve at the level it did. Um, but when you, you know, kind of consider that none of those were considered like kind of slam dunks, like I say, a lot worked out and, you know, I walked off the field after the opener saying that might be the best team the Oregon football program has ever played in football. And depending on how things go tonight, we're obviously recording Monday morning. Um, that could be validated potentially, you know? And then you look at two losses late in the season that I think um, I certainly, with my partisan uh, eyeglasses, would argue were uh, significantly owed to the injury to the quarterback. Um, And when you think that the losses occurred under those circumstances, that's, you know, that's, that's not a bad year at all. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 and and then sorry to keep rambling on here, but uh, yeah, the fact that the transfer portal and NIL, you know, th- this is a this is a, a young head coach taking over a program for the first time in this atmosphere of absolute chaos. And perhaps the fact that he's young and flexible helps him in that regard. But to, to navigate all that and still kind of have the success that he had, some of the recruiting class that he did, have the team, you know, positioned at least at this point for the kind of year we hope and think it could have next year uh that's impressive as well you you touched on the youth element there uh with dan who are are you are you a little bit older than him this is probably the first coach that you can say you're about the same age as i'm not trying to not trying to age you too much but like you mentioned the youth just to put it into context like he is legitimately roughly our peer in age and leading a major football program with all of the tasks that you mentioned, you know, in front of him, I just wonder, as somebody who's, you know, because so, so often in this job we're, we're covering teams coached by people that are like Kelly Graves turned sixty in like what February or something like that. Like he he's he's significantly older than myself. He's been through this for a lot, but for everything Dan has to, as you said, kind of deal with now with the chaos of college football, I wonder if you can just provide some context for the listeners as somebody who's around him a little bit more, around the staff a little bit more, for just how difficult that can be and maybe what impressed you most with the way he navigated the season? You know, I think, you know, the best coaches have this insane ability to compartmentalize and, you know, the, the, where I see it, you know, most closely is, you know, inside a practice and kind of what the messaging is like and what the tone is like. And then we walk up those stairs to the courtyard of the HTC to do media and, 
it's, uh, you know, it's not disingenuous in any way, but it's a different kind of message. I mean, it's a different focus of a message. Um, you know, and, and I think any good coach has to do that. You know, your, your message to whether it's to a player or to an assistant coach or to somebody outside the program, a, a donor is all going to be a little bit different. And the ability to, to, to kind of compartmentalize and, 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 and do that is something that the best coaches can do. And I think Dan does it at an elite level. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, I think his youth provides a sense of energy, um, that, you know, I think is really fun and impressive. Um, and yet he has this, this gravitas too, when he needs it, that, um, shows a lot of, uh, you know, emotional maturity as well too. So, um, yeah, no, it is a trip. I mean, I, I turn 46 late last year and, you know, when he hires an offensive coordinator that's like 32 or whatever, it's like, wow, I'm probably going to be older than all the, the people I cover <laughs> for, from here on out, uh, at least for the time being in football. So it's wild, you know, I mean, I'm, it's, uh, it's, you know, as much as anything, it's the fact that, you know, I'm getting older, um, you know, the profession probably stays around the same age, although he is significantly younger than a lot of other guys, but um, that that is a weird deal. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I think Willie Taggart and I were kind of around, are, are okay. around the same age. And I think Mario's a couple years older, but like he and I do not exist in the same planes of reality. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I, you know, you know, I, I find Dan relatable in a different way. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's go to Bo. Um, because when he showed up, we're going to talk about what he did on the field. Um, but what really impressed me maybe the most with him this season was his leadership and how he just slid right into the program as if he had been here for four years. And I think what made it so impressive was like he, he comes from the South and there are guys on this team from Florida or from Alabama, but it maybe makes up 10, 15% of the roster. So he didn't really even know any of these guys through seven-on-seven circuits or QB training events or whatever. And yet he slid right in and became a really highly respected player on this team. How do you think he did that? What what made him so relatable to basically anyone on the team? Well, I think when he got here and didn't act as if kind of he was the guy that he was coming here to be the starter, you know, when, when he got here – and the message was he's going to compete for the job and we're going to rotate. And um, he was here for spring. Right. And that was kind yes. of the deal in spring. Like all the, yeah. And all the quarterbacks were rotating and, and that was genuinely true. Um, you know, that one day one guy'd be one and, and the next day it'd be a different guy. And the next day it'd be a different guy. I mean, there were gen- there was nothing handed to him. I would assume in the back of his mind, you know, if you hooked him up to a lie detector test, he felt like, yeah, I was only going to come here if I wasn't going to be the starter. And I assumed by the time the season started, I'd be the guy. But the fact that he was, at least from my perspective, I, you know, I, and I didn't see what went on in meetings in the locker room. And I'm sure a ton of groundwork was laid there as well, too. But for me, I go back to his willingness to come in and just say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just another guy competing for the job and I got to win it. Um, you know, I remember in 2015, 
you know, Vernon Adams arrival was delayed so long. Yeah. And, and so it was kind of the same deal it was like, Hey, he's going to have to come in here and he's going to win it. And that, that remained the message for at least a, some time after he had already arrived, but I think it was his first practice. I remember him doing the typical Vernon Adams, like kind of scramble around a little bit to buy some time and then unleash this ball downfield. And I think I looked at Andy Mack and was like, uh, like that's our quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I, I don't remember a, that specific a kind of moment in the spring, but I think there was a sense that, yeah, you know, this guy has played a ton of football and you can see how that, that benefits him. Um, it, it probably would be a surprise if he's not the guy based on just that skill set that he has and the way it, the way it helps him. But again, he didn't, he didn't act as if, you know, he, he deserved to be the anointed one. He, he competed it out and he said all the right things and did all the right things. Um, and I think that, you know, at least from my perspective, that went a long way towards kind of earning him that credibility. Just Rob, part of the reason I thought it was fun to have you on is I would say you're like one of the foremost experts in terms of this program. And you've been at this for such a long time. You, you, you know, you, you have such perspectives that a lot of people don't like even myself, I've been at covering in this program for now about seven years, something like that, that pales in comparison to the amount of time you've been around to the number of seasons you've covered to the number of, you know, athletes you've covered um, in Oregon, in, in Oregon uniforms. Uh, so part of what I wanted to do here was just kind I'm of old. Play. I get it. Okay. Yeah, I know. I, know. I mentioned <laughs> your age before, Rob. We're so young. You're so old. But, you know, you have some uh, some wisdom that us youngsters don't have. Us in the 30s, you don't have, Rob. Uh, but, but what I wanted to ask you, kind of like to put in the context of where Bo's season maybe stacks up amongst the seasons that you've seen. And I know stats are only one component of it but statistically i think this is like a probably close to a mount rushmore season in terms of the yards he threw for the touchdowns that he counted for both passing and rushing um you know i think if he doesn't get hurt he probably runs for close to 700 yards um the most accurate passer in oregon history i think matt looked up matt and i looked it up to, in uh, san diego the day after the holiday bowl uh tied i think Ties. keaton slovis for the most accurate passer in the pac-12 who threw for more than I forget what the threshold map I remember it 150. was. One like, fifty. Yeah, more than 150 passes. So like all of this and just you know, there's a bunch of numbers, there's all these moments, just like I don't know, you know, he's coming back for another season next year. Like where where does he where does this 2022 season from Bo Nix maybe kind of in your mind? I'm not sure if you've done the mental exercise of kind of placement, but I, can you give us an idea of where you kind of feel like this sort of stacks up amongst the guys you've seen? I can I can think out loud. Um, that's for sure. I mean, I I think where while you were going through that, I think my brain first went to Dennis in 2007 and to Marcus in 2014. Obviously, as kind of benchmarks, um, you know. And I think you got to look at at uh, Darren Thomas and yeah. you know the leadership that he provided and the playmaking he provided. You know, to go undefeated in the regular season in, in 2010. Um, it's a results oriented business, you know, I, you know, every time there's a road game and we're about to go out of town on a Friday, you know, somebody else in the office will be like, have a good time. And I'll be like, well, it's a bottom line business. So one thing will determine, you know, if we have a good time on this trip. Um, and, you know, so when, 
10 and three is a really, really good season. And I think this season will be remembered for Bo as a really, really good season, but it's not one of the truly elite seasons in program history. Um, you know, as our, our rivals love to remind us, we haven't won a national title here yet, but you know, there's been some, some close calls. And I think, you know, seasons like that and or seasons where a guy's in the Heisman race, um, you know, and not just kind of knocking on the door, you know, as Bo was late in the year, right before being injured. You know, I think it'll be a what if, if he hadn't gotten hurt because team success is rewarded in that, in that, uh, in, in, in the Heisman consideration. Uh, so had he stayed healthy, I think we'd have, we'd be having a much different conversation right now on a whole lot of fronts and uh, maybe we'd be having it before watching another football game tonight. Who knows? But um, things went how they went, and that's that's what kind of determines how we're all going to remember things, I think. So um, the stage is set to, to really um, ink his name in the history of this program next year, I think, for sure. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with uh, Godux's Rob Mosley. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Um, Rob, sticking with offense, I was pleasantly surprised with Bucky Irving's performance this season. Um, and I think you would look at it and say, well, he only ran for 1,058 yards. He only had five touchdowns. He only had 156 carries on the season. Like None of those individually are even close to one of the best or the most by a running back at Oregon in program history. And yet I continue to walk away just being like, he's different. And it helps that his backup, Noah Winnington and then Jordan James are pretty, pretty good themselves in their own right. And then Bo was Bo. Uh, and he got a lot of touchdowns near the goal line as well. But could you maybe just kind of what we just talked about with Bo? I'm, I'm curious where you think Bucky sits because I don't want to like make these sweeping opinions of him, but at the same time, like next season, he has a chance maybe in 2023 to put himself in that maybe area of where like Maurice Morris, Ontario Smith, two guys who were two year players at Oregon, Ruben Jones, 
and had two really good years and maybe aren't the best guy, but in that discussion for that position group. Yeah. It, uh, I think you kind of touched on it there. I mean, you have to, when you start thinking about like rankings and kind of where, where a guy sits in the history of the program, you have to add some caveats because, you know, so, you know, the length of guys' careers are so different, but right. You know, when I think about the, the guys that he reminded me of, you know, the first one was Ontario Smith, who I still think is one of the most gifted guys that's ever played in this program. Um, and then by the end, I started thinking about LaMichael James, too. And be, because the ability to be so explosive in, in a tight space and yet also run with so much power, just so much, such a physical, almost a vicious runner. I mean, who looked for contact um, was so impressive. Um, and that guy, you know, when, when a guy transfers in, you know, you can wonder like, okay, is he just kind of, you know, almost frankly, is it sort of an assassin's mentality, you know, or, you know, am I, am I just playing for kind of whoever I think gives me the best chance to showcase me? But right. that guy's a duck, man. I mean, he loves being here. He loves the opportunities at. He loves playing for this program. You know, and is you know, not to get too sentimental, but as somebody who, A, yeah, is old and has been around as long as I have, but went here, you know, graduated from here, to see a guy really embrace being a duck the way Bucky Irving has. Um. Yeah, I mean, I just I've been really impressed with that guy. I've really enjoyed watching him play, and um, yeah, you know, statistics just have exploded in in recent years, and and because of the number of games we play now, um, because of you know, just it's an it seems like an offensive oriented game, and it's in, yep. particularly seems like a quarterback oriented game now. So that's going that Im certainly impacted you know Bucky's numbers this year. They could have been a little different if, if it had been a different style of play and maybe a different quarterback. Um, you know, obviously that 14J package. Uh, you know, some of the if he gets some of those opportunities, um, you know, his numbers uh, look different as well. But I think for all of us who watched him all season and, and watched him in the bowl game. We all know just you know how special a player he was, how impactful a player he was uh, for this offense. Rob, Rob, you kind of touched on it here. It's good trend, I think probably good transition from uh, Matt's to mine here. I hadn't really thought about until this part, but I wanted to get your take on all the newness right now in college football. Um, you mentioned it there with it's there's so much uncertainty with you know the chaos both from a coaching staff of building a roster. It's probably never been more difficult. I mean, as we as we sit right here today, Matt, what's Oregon's current scholarship count? Like that 92, 93 scholarships, you have to get under 85. There's so much going on year in, year out. I, I just wonder from your perspective on almost a personal level of kind of how, how do you take it of like all the newness, but all the excitement of, you know, I don't want to say shiny new toy, but a little bit of that with a guy like a Bucky Irving or Bo Nix and so much of Oregon's success this last season was kind of built on the backs of guys who didn't start at Oregon. So that part's exciting. But then there's also the, the fact that, you know, you have a 25 man recruiting class and you probably only expect maybe a dozen of the, those guys to end their careers at Oregon. I just kind of wonder what your feel and sense is for, you know, as you said so many times in this podcast, being the old guy and seeing so much football now, Rob, what, what's kind of your perspective on seeing the shift to, to where we are now? Well, you know, some of this is, is kind of personal philosophy. One thing I really want to and try to and do so successfully and 
times and unsuccessfully at others is fight that kind of common urge as as you age to struggle with change Hmm. you know i try to remind myself change is constant and what was normal to me 20 years ago when i was first wrapping my head around the college football landscape was dramatically different to somebody 20 30 years older than me so what i saw as kind of normal was chaos to someone older for various different reasons you know because of you know, there's a realignment that had already taken place or, or this or that, whatever. So, um, you know, you try to keep in mind why some of the, these new rules have been enacted. And it's just to empower players, you know, give them some freedom of movement, give them some freedom to capitalize on their like their name, image and likeness that. And those are all good things. And, yeah, you take it all collectively and it's created a vastly different environment than what we were used to. But it doesn't make it a bad thing just because it's different. And and I think it, it can be a knee-jerk reaction, particularly for, as any of us get a little older, to to say, oh, bad is different just because it's – or, or di- excuse me, different is bad just because it's different, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I, I, again, I, I, I try to fight that impulse anytime it crops into my head. Like, anytime I start to feel like my head's spinning and I'm a little overwhelmed by, like, wait, what are – what exactly are the rules now compared to a year ago, two years ago, whatever – I mean, you, you see guys transferring for like a third time and it's like, wait, yeah. I, is that legal? Like what, what's his eligibility now? Like what? I have no idea. You know, I mean, it's like I, I'm constantly having to look things up um, to make sure I'm kind of up to date on like what the latest rules and regulations and things are, but that's okay. You know, that's, that's not a bad thing. So uh, again, I'm not always successful reminding myself of that, but I, I try to, I try to always keep that in mind. It, it's funny because it just popped in my head right here when you're saying that, that Bonix tied Keaton Slovis for the highest completion percentage in Pac-12 history for a single season. Keaton Slovis is going to be playing for his fourth team next season in 2023. Uh, just crazy. To, to, to no idea how that's how that's the case. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 did, and didn't have to sit out an extra year once, I don't think. I think he just jumped to school yeah. to school. I, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> now um, I, I think all of us have to agree we haven't necessarily like followed his career path no, you're right to the point no. where we know all the details so we're, it's not like we're in a position where we could or should know that but just for like a casual observer of the sport to see something like that going on and be like wait that's like normal that's okay not, <laughs> not that it's normal but like that's you know kind of within the rules like okay all right like because if you had told somebody 10 years ago that that would be happening you'd be like and what no universe way. are you occupying? That's not it, that. That's not the rules now. Nor could I ever foresee it being the rules. And yet here we are. So you know, you just you just adjust. I, I want to. My last question for you. I want to look ahead instead of looking back. Um, we have. We're not trying to find out any information. Spring ball is a long ways away. We don't even know the date of that yet. Um, but this team brings back its quarterback. It brings back its top four rushers. Five of its top six pass catchers are back. Uh, Stephen Jones has said he'll be back. And Marcus Harper, Jackson Powers Johnson kind of give you a a decent core up front offensively. So the offense, in theory, on paper, should be pretty good in 2023. Um, Defensively, there's a lot of questions. Sewell's gone now. Gonzo's gone. Bennett Williams graduated. Um, 
Dorless did say he's coming back, which came out Sunday. Just what are your kind of your thoughts going into spring ball? Just big picture. What are what are you hoping to see? What are the the questions that need to get answered for spring ball? I'm not even going to think about 2023. It's right. spring ball only. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously a big a big storyline offensively is going to be okay. You got a new coordinator. You do have all these pieces. Some of them are new. You know, you know, right. bringing in some guys on the offensive line and receiver that are are going to be some new pieces that you try to fit in. Um, you've got a highly ranked recruiting class of freshmen coming in. So, you, you know, you still do have to sort of build that chemistry between, you know, new coordinator, new system, you know, existing players, new players. So you can't take anything for granted offensively, but you know, you do feel like, yeah, like, as you said, there's a ton of pieces back. This has the potential to be a really, really, really elite offense um, coming up in the fall. So, you know, what do those first steps look like? You know, what's what's the offense going to look like schematically? What's it going to look like um, in terms of how that, all of that personnel fits together, how you, you're going to utilize all those guys, et cetera. Um, and then defensively, yeah, I, th- I think the – particularly with Gonzo out in the bowl game, I think you're, you're looking at the secondary going, okay, how are those guys going to perform? Um, and then losing – you know, a, a couple of, of, of pass rushers for that game too. How are you going to get pressure on the quarterback? Uh, and I think both of those questions, you know, were, you know, for the sake of the matchup with North Carolina and then for the sake of what it could mean going forward, I think there were some positive indications in both those uh, situations. I think Ducks did a pretty good job of getting some pressure on on the quarterback at times in the, in the bowl game. And I, and I thought, both Bridges and Manning at corner had some moments that really made you feel like, okay, you know, we're, we're seeing, we, we know what the potential is and, and, and we're seeing some signs that in a big time situation against a big time passing attack, you know, they can make some plays. Um, not to suggest anybody was perfect in any regard, but no. um, you know, see, so, so, so I think there's some reason to think that what, well, we're going to be some some concerns with good reason because some guys that had moved on, um, there, there's the potential to to answer that. And you look at linebacker too, and, and I think Keith Brown is another guy yeah. who going into that really game, good. you probably felt like, well, here's a guy who's thrust into it. You know, I think Lanning talked about that all month. Like, hey, some young guys are going to get some opportunities. What are you, what are you going to do with them? You know, you imagine – you imagine some young guys behind the scenes much of the season probably feel like, ah, I should be playing more. Maybe, you know, how come I'm not getting reps? And it's like, well, here you go. You know, you get your opportunity. You better make the most of it. And and some guys really, really did. And um, not suggest any one of those guys individually was, was doing that. But, you know, I, you know, I, I can imagine me being in a situation like that, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, careful what you wish for, because now you're thrust into it and you better, you better put up or shut up. And I think a lot of guys really put up uh, in that bowl game and, uh, and that provided some hope too. So what's great about sports, what's great about this time of year is we can just be optimistic, or at least I can, you know, you can just, yeah. you can look at all the parts and say, Hey, the potential is there for kind of things to work out. And doesn't that make a new year and a new season exciting? And it's the coach's job to be the cynics and to be worried about what what could potentially go wrong and try to address those issues, you know, basically both, both through personnel and through, you know, schematics and the way they coach up the team. But 
you know, this is a fun time of year to be a fan because you can you can start thinking about, hey, what if everything works out and what kind of a special season could could, could the Ducks be having? Well, Rob, thank you so much again for jumping on the podcast with us. I wanted to finish your kind of segment here with an opportunity to plug your podcast, the Mighty Oregon Podcast. Nearly 100 guests and episodes, which is, or maybe nearly 100 episodes, probably fewer guests than that, I imagine. Um, but kind of, I know it's, it's been something you've been you've been working on. I think a lot of people are big fans. Can you kind of give us a feel for what maybe uh, your favorite part of doing that, maybe some favorite moments, favorite guests, just kind of walk us through a little bit about what you've kind of gotten out of that experience. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I should have a new one coming out today with Keenan Howery, who was fun to catch up with Ooh. him. But you talk about aging. Um, you know, we all three of us know who that is. He got a little is. bit of gray in his beard, and I did not enjoy seeing a little bit of gray in Keenan Howery's beard. That's for sure, because I remember still him as this young kid. Uh, he played right after I had graduated, so it's like I felt like a grizzled old veteran on the beat at that point. And he was this young kid, and that's kind of still how I, I think of him. So, um, but no, you know, when I when I took this job, um, one of the the things I was most excited about was to be able to, to cover kind of the, the, the range of sports at Oregon, because just the way, you know, journalism was trending, it was just harder and harder for, you know, kids on some of the teams to get any exposure at all. And, and I've really enjoyed doing that, you know, going to the national championship with women's golf last spring and, and following them around and really connecting them with our fans in a way that, um, you know, might, might not have been the case uh, otherwise, but one of the things that had kind of, I quickly realized was going to fall through the cracks was the ability to do long form storytelling. Cause you just, as you know, when you try to, when, when you really want to write an in-depth feature, you know, you could take a week or two and not write anything else, just working on that and still feel like you kind of had to rush it to really tell a full complete story. Yeah. Um, and then we're in a business these days now that doesn't allow you to go two weeks without writing anything else. You gotta, you gotta constantly keep, yeah. uh, keep it coming. So um, that really fell through the cracks um, and so the Mighty Oregon podcast has really been a chance to kind of dive in, um, and, and tell some longer form stories, really get into kids' backgrounds and what makes them tick and kind of how they got where they are at. And, and, um, you know, working with a producer who can, you know, work in some sound effects and highlights and all that. It's really been fun. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite. It's like every, everyone's like your baby, you know, it's like asking your favorite kid, you know, cause you, cause, cause we do invest a lot of time and trying to get, get good guests that people are going to be interested in hearing from. And then, you know, trying to make sure it's a lively conversation that kind of hits all the, hits all the highlights of their careers and, and all that. So, um, but it, it's been really fun. It's been really rewarding. Um, you know, yeah, I've generally gotten some pretty positive feedback on it. So I've appreciated that too. So, yeah, if, if people want to check it out, it sure be sure be grateful. It's a mighty run podcast. I think it's it's fun to catch up again as someone now who has the benefit of of some years on the beat to catch up with some you know somebody like a Keenan Howry who um, you know we remember he provided such great memories for this for this uh, for this team and then you know just to catch up get a little bit more kind of how he got to that stage and what he's doing since has been really fun. Rob. Thanks for coming on the show again. We really appreciate the time. I promise you we will chop it up on women's basketball. You and Eric can make my head spin. Uh, 
Do it. Love it. And it makes that I'll sound like I'm not a fan because I am. I, Matt, no, Matt, just not Matt watches team. the games. Matt watches the games. He just doesn't report on him. He's a fan. Nope. Nobody covers our men's basketball team like you do, Matt. And nobody covers our <laughs> women's basketball team like you do, Eric. So you, each of you has their specialty. And uh, yes. that uh, obviously – when you devote that much time to a subject, it means you're not going to be able to devote as much time to another subject, and there's no shame in that. I, I, th- I know on behalf of the, our department, I think we really appreciate the investment you guys make in each of those programs because it is, you know, with, with only a couple other exceptions, you know, on the beat. You know, it is kind of a rarity these Different. days. to Right. So, yeah, it's, it's very much appreciated because, you know, the fan base wants to know as much as they can about these programs. And, uh you guys, you guys uh, provide a lot, so thank you. Well, that wasn't my mission to get that out of you, but we'll record <laughs> that and we'll send it across the ways. <laughs> good work, good work, Matt. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll let Rob get out of here. Rob, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate your Absolutely. time. Uh, we will see you at Matt Night Arena sometime this week. It's a plan. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the football game tonight. <laughs>